Two sweeps in the first round. One of them, some predicted the other. I don't think anybody did. Uh, The Leafs and Predators are showing some resiliency. And what is next for the Edmonton Oilers? Wow. Episode 76 of the Second Thoughts Hockey Podcast. Let's go. You know what the best part about doing podcasts on Tuesdays and Fridays? One, the Tuesday for me is the day after any long weekend that like ends on the Monday. So the Monday you get the day off and I see a lot of people who still have to, you know, record podcasts and do some sort of work and anything like that. And then the Friday for me, because even if you were to get the Friday off for me, I can still wake up early, finish and bang it out and like couple hours and then have basically the rest of the day on Friday. But for the Monday, right, I was able to like relax yesterday, take some things in, get a little bit of extra hockey. And yeah, I was seeing, I was seeing other podcasts being posted and doing, I'm like, ah, I'm like, I don't know. It was kind of nice to not have to do any work. Like I was doing a lot of posting in the morning and I was sitting outside on my, on my wicker furniture in the backyard and I was doing a lot of posts and I'm doing those videos now that I'm posting on uh on the Instagram and Twitter pages which are at ST Hockey Podcast but it's nice to be able to to come back because I, I got to work today and uh and I get to do an episode of the podcast. Uh more articles for the hockey writers coming out just make sure you go to the hockeywriters.com go to the Vancouver Connect section. I've got articles coming out each and every week on Vancouver. And actually for a team not in the playoffs, they got a lot of news happening about them. So it's given me great content to work with here. Um, we got to get to a lot of things. By the way, if you want to tune in on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, feel free to do so. Just search Second Thoughts Hockey Podcasts. Wow. Oilers swept by the Jets. What to make of it? What to make of Connor McDavid? Uh, the Leafs and Predators. And I know the Leafs, They're both of them are showing resiliency but in two very different ways. Toronto was the favorite going in against Montreal, but they have dealt with a plethora of injuries. The Predators were not the favorites and weren't even expected to win two games. And here they are tied with Carolina going into tonight. Uh, Spencer Knight hopping in as the third goaltender to play for the Panthers in the first round. And he comes up big, but can he keep it going? And the Avalanche, could it be this year, even with the Nazem Kadri suspension? We get to all of that, but... How do we not start with this series? Winnipeg Jets complete the stunning sweep, triple overtime victory. Kyle Connor just breaking the hearts of every single Oilers fan. I don't think you can be as dialed into hockey as anyone. And I don't think anybody was saying Jets sweep the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, it's funny. McDavid and Dreisaitl held to like a point per game, which when you think about it is like, oh, like that's it's it's still incredible to be able to to have that feat, especially in the postseason. But when McDavid averaged nearly like two points a game this season, it's pretty impressive. And in two of those games, the dude didn't even get a point. Um, I want to give a shout out, though, before I start, you know, praising the Jets. By the way, Nikolai Ehlers did come back for games like three and four was an immediate impact player. Uh, Ehlers uh, playing really well. Didn't pick up a point yesterday, but played in game three. Had like three points. Connor Hallibuck, he did it for three straight games. And and this is what I'm going to tell you right now. So 
I'm going to talk about this series. I'm going to talk about another series, the Colorado Avalanche and the St. Louis Blues series. Right, Colorado, we'll get to that sweep in a little bit as well. Colorado sweeps St. Louis. St. Louis goaltender Jordan Bennington, numbers aren't great. Connor Hellebuck on the team that got outshot in mostly every game. This one's pretty close. His numbers in the series in four games, 1.55 goals against, .958 save percentage with a shutout. That's what that's what elite goaltending gets you. If you are a team coming back from injury, any team has a shot if your goaltender does that. If your goaltender does that, you've got a shot. These games were amazing. This was a triple overtime game. The night before was an overtime game. The 4-1 collapse comeback. By the way, we didn't even get a chance to talk about that. The Winnipeg Jets won overtime games, basically games two, three, and four, with last night being the uh last night being the dagger in triple overtime. This series goes back to game, I would even argue game two. Right? The first game the Jets came out, played really well. McDavid and Dreisaitl were held, were held off the score sheet. And game two rolls around. And the Oilers have a chance to split this series. And for the second consecutive game to start the postseason, both McDavid and Dreisaitl come up empty. Why is this important information? I'm going to give you a perfect example. The Toronto Maple Leafs and Montreal Canadiens series. Game one, Montreal edges Toronto 2-1. Matthews and Marner both don't get points. How do they respond? 5-1, dominant victory. Marner two assists. Matthews three points. The big boys show up. William Nylander scored in place of John Tavares. Game two, in a game where your two best players very clearly evidently are the guys that carry this team. And it's no secret. Like, they weren't going to be like, oh, watch out for Alex Chason and Dominic Cahoon. They could really change the fortune of this series. No, it's your two big guns. It's McDavid and Dreisaitl. You want secondary scoring help. But in game two, after getting basically shut down completely and your team only scoring one goal, you get shut out and lose in overtime on a goal by Paul Stasny. That was the pivoting point of the series. Everyone's going to say the 4-1 collapse, which absolutely was a big one. But that even could have been prevented had you shown up in Game 2. Because look at the Toronto-Montreal series. Had Toronto not shown up Game 2, they might not win last night 2-1. And they now they have a 2-1 series lead. But this could go back, arguably, to Game 2. Where the Oilers, after losing 4-1 to the Jets, right? Jets played a great game. Even though the Oilers played they well, like they dominated, Hellebuck stone his head. You're like, what are you going to do? This was a chance then for Edmonton to even the series up at home before going to Winnipeg. Exact same circumstances as the Leafs and Habs. Toronto answered the bell in game two. Edmonton did not. Then you go to game three, right? You're down 2 nothing. You have that big 4-1 lead. It's not so funny anymore when it's you that blows a 4-1 lead, right? All Toronto fans, I saw a bunch of Leaf fans yesterday just being like, yeah, now we're not alone. And I was watching, and Dreisaitl had three goals, two goals and an assist, and McDavid had three assists, and I'm like, all right, here come the Oilers. Except then the game went like this. After the Oilers took a 4-1 lead, Matthew Perot at 11:41 of the third, 
Blake Wheeler at 14.28 of the third. Josh Morrissey, 14.44, so literally 16 seconds after. And then Nikolai Ehlers in overtime to cap it off. It's not to say that that the Oilers, again, outshot the Jets, but Connor Hellebuck made 44 saves in that one. Mike Smith gave up five on 37. Mike Smith didn't even play poorly, honestly. Two four nine goals against, 9-14 save percentage. But then you go to Hellebuck, and by the way, these are only through three games. They haven't updated the numbers yet, but Connor Hellebuck then won 5-5 goals against and 9-5-8 save percentage. Who had the better goalie? The superstars in this one. It's just, I know these feelings. I've been there. I've been there. Leaf fans, we've been there. It sucks. It sucks. But now that it's happened, let's sit here and evaluate it. Are we really that shocked? Right, the Oilers didn't really address their secondary scoring. They played pretty well down the stretch in McDavid and Dryside on the regular season. Carried them. And the realization for me in this one, and I've already known this, but it, it became a realization to the Oilers. The regular season and playoffs are two very different animals. Right? Teams get by during the regular season. Teams, you know, go through stretches where they take games off. Guys rest, backup goalies play. The Oilers played against Laurent Bossois, who's the backup goaltender for the Winnipeg Jets. Laurent Bossois is a fine backup goaltender. He's not Carter Hellebuck, who is in the Vesna candidate conversation and was last year as well. He's arguably one of the best goalies in the world. Remember at the beginning of the season when everybody was making fun of the North Division because their defense and goaltending were lacking? That division right now has the best goaltending stats in the playoffs. The best goaltending stat in the playoffs. And all of a sudden, the point leaders are all in the other divisions. Jonathan Huberto is 10 points. McKinnon is 9. Kucherov is 9. Landis Cog is 8. McKinnon has 6 goals in 4 games. And then you go to the goaltending. And yes, Tuka Rask has four wins and Grubauer's four wins, but his stats are one eight one goals against nine four one save percentage. So they've actually been fantastic. But of the goalies who've started every game, the two of the top four are in the north: Jack Campbell and Connor Hellebuck. Carey Price is not far behind at two four one save percentage. Numbers two and three are Connor Hellebuck and Jack Campbell. Everything's all, all all of a sudden switched. I'm not seeing any more people being like, oh, the North Division is, it's probably some of the best playoff hockey. The Jets-Oilers series, I've never witnessed a series before that a team sweeps the other team and is probably one of the most entertaining series. Like triple overtime game, shout out to Darnell Nurse, who played, I'm not kidding, 62 minutes plus last night. In one of the overtime periods, I have I have the tweet here. Give me a second. 
So a period in, in, in hockey is 20 minutes long, right? Darnell Nurse, in overtime, in the first overtime, played 15 minutes and 32 seconds. The average time for a top-end defenseman to play per period is about seven to eight minutes, give or take. He played 15 and a half minutes. There were only four minutes and 28 seconds of the entire period in which this dude was not on the ice for. His average shift was over a minute and a half per shift. The average shift is about 45 seconds. And one shift was four minutes and 47 seconds. He came off the ice for 47 seconds and was back on double shifted afterwards. Absolute insanity from Darnell Nurse. That dude's got to win. He's got to win the Norris. I'm sorry. He just, he has put on an absolute claim. I know Victor Hedman's always in that conversation. He's been great. I know it's not, it doesn't have to do with postseason either. And Adam Fox had a great year, but I think Darnell Nurse went so underrated. And I think also due to the fact that he plays in the North Division. But the North Division games have just been, they've been remarkable. And again, the save percentage and whatnot, I'm not even including uh, like Spencer Knight, who we're going to get to in a little bit as well. But amazing, the goalies faced the most shots. (laughs) Andre Vasilevsky of Tampa. I would have never thought that. Never thought that. Mind you, they've played five games. So that might help. But this is going to be... There are a lot of question marks about the Edmonton Oilers this year. And I can't even blame Mike... You can't even blame the goaltending in this one. You can't blame Mike Smith, but you got out goalied. Like, Edmonton got out goalied in this series. They got vastly out goalied, and even in the game where they scored... Five goals, or four goals, sorry. They still couldn't do it. Yeah, three goals yesterday, four goals the game before. Every game they got a goalie. And Mike Smith, by the way, was terrific yesterday. Four goals against on 43 shots, had a 907 save percentage, 2.26 goals against average because the game went to triple overtime. But Hellebuck, Oilers outshot him again. Connor Hellebuck, three goals on 40 shots, 925 save percentage, 1.7 goals against. There are going to be a lot of question marks in Edmonton. A lot of question marks. Secondary scoring, utterly insignificant. Ryan Nugent Hopkins finally came to the fold. He hadn't had a point in the first three games. Had a goal and an assist yesterday. Too little, too late. Um... Zach Cassian, right, who has plays in the top six, uh, had a goal and an assist in the four games. Jesse Puyarvi, after opening the scoring in game one, didn't get a point through games two and three, picked up an assist in game four, so he had two points. Like you need you need someone else doing something. It can't just be McDavid and Drysidel. And when you are a one line team. This is what happens. Playoff hockey. Things get tighter. They don't just let you lollygag anymore in the neutral zone. There was a play, and everyone was like ooing and aahing with the way McDavid you know, got, took the puck in stride. He like took a pass off his back skate, then chipped it by the defenseman, then like 
was driving his feet along the outside and took a backhand shot, and then Hellebuck just stuck his glove out and grabbed it. At no point did that play look dangerous at all. There are a lot of question marks, and I can't even, I haven't even looked on, on Oilers Twitter or the comment section or anything. Um, but I heard a lot of this too from the 4 1 collapse coming from a Leaf fan. And, I, and I've actually, I've heard this on a couple other podcasts. One, the Steve Dangle podcast, who they specifically talk about the Leafs in a lot of depth. And they're like, you don't recover from this. Like, you don't, even, even after, like, you've quote-unquote recovered from it, right? And you moved on. Game two between the Leafs and Habs, the Habs pulled their goalie. Pulled Price with six minutes left. I was nervous watching that. That's eight years ago when that happened. Boston, Toronto, I was nervous. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're pulling the goalie. It's happening all over again. Like it sticks with you. It does. Whether you want to admit it or not, it might not bother you as much, but it's in your head. And that's going to be in their head. It's going to be in their head. It was the game. It was one of the games that could have been a turning point in the series. There are a lot of question marks. I don't think they're going to come back with Mike Smith, though I thought Mike Smith was great this year, but there are a couple goalies on the market that I think they're going to go get, and I think they need to go get toughness on defense. I know Darren Nurse is tough. I know he's great. You're going to get Oscar Kleffbaum back, which is basically like getting a free agent defenseman. You've got some young guys in the system. Ethan Bear looks good. I don't know I, as good of a season as Tyson Berry had. I watched him on the last goal. It wasn't just him. It was Adam Larson, too, that kind of messed it up. But I don't know if I don't know if Barry's back. With all the points he had, now the Oilers think playoff hockey. It's exactly what the Toronto Maple Leafs did. They brought in Zach Bogosian. Everyone's like, so what? He wasn't great in the regular season. How important is that guy in playoffs? He is vital. Physically veteran experience wise the Oilers are right there get some secondary scoring that that was on as much as they were focusing on McDavid and Dreisaitl that was when Ryan Nugent Hopkins right Zach Cassian Kyler Yamamoto all those guys come into play you are secondary scoring I'm looking at I'm looking at Colorado winning their series, and they're getting goals from Brendan Saad and Andre Burakovsky and Kael McCarr on the point. And I know Ranton and McKinnon and, and and Landis Cog are doing their thing, but they've got secondary scoring. Look at the Islanders last night, double overtime victory. Josh Bailey, who had 35 points this year, overtime winners. Jordan Eberle, wouldn't you love to have him on your team, Edmonton? He's got three points in five games. Right? So when Barzell last night doesn't get a point, you have other guys to lean on. Jean-Gabriel Pajot, five points in five games. Leo Komarov's chipping in with points. Anthony Beauvillier scoring game winners. He's got four points in five games. You need secondary scoring. You know who leads the Leafs in playoff goals this year? It's not Austin Matthews. It's not Mitch Marner. It's not John Tavares. I know he got hurt. It's William Nylander. 
And I know you're thinking, well, Kyle, he's he's their, he's one of their big four. Right, but he's on their second line, which results in secondary scoring. Jason Spetz has also scored for the Leafs. You need secondary scoring. You need it badly. You need it badly. A lot of question marks for the uh, for the Edmonton Oilers. Anyways, congratulations to the Winnipeg Jets. You're moving on. You're going to play the winner of Montreal-Toronto. Um, Winnipeg, you're probably feeling hot right now. You probably don't care who you face. Um, you probably would prefer to play Montreal, but at the same time, I feel like Montreal plays them pretty well, and you don't want to face Carey Price. Trust me, as a Leaf fan, you don't want to face Carey Price right now. He has been unbelievable. Um, okay, let's move on real quick here to the uh, Colorado Avalanche. Another sweep um, that we probably did expect, right? Avalanche coming in hot, playing the St. Louis Blues. The game one they played, uh, Avalanche took it 5-2 or something like that, or 4-1, whatever the score was. And the shots on goal in that game, I remember bringing it up, but the shots on goal were something ridiculous. It was, It was something like they more than doubled them in shots. It was 4-1. Bennington played spectacular. Shots were 49-23. So more than doubled the shots. And after that game, I went, oh, this is, they're going to absolutely steamroll. Well, then game two rolls around, and Colorado scores six goals, four on 33 on, on Bennington. Grubauer played fantastic. And then game three rolled around, and Colorado won then 5-1. And after that 5-1 game, I mean, you know at that point the series is 3 nothing. But you just knew there's no coming back from it, which is crazy because in that game, in game three, St. Louis outshot the Colorado Avalanche 32 to 25 or 26 with the empty net goal. But when your goaltender can't can't live up, that's what happens. So they closed out the series. They won 5-2. And then again, Colorado absolutely carried the game out shooting the Blues uh, 32 to like 20 in game four. But this this is, like I said, I pick Colorado to win the Stanley Cup. They are a wagon. They're scoring like crazy. They're getting secondary scoring. Their top guns are scoring. They're getting goals from Valerie Nachuchkin and Brendan Saad the other day. Landis Cobb, McKinnon, Randon, all scoring goal and assist. They're all like scoring and then assisting on each other's goals. Like it's, it's friggin' impressive watching them play. But I just think they're so complete. And the difference between this year and last year, they're healthy. This was the 5-1 win, by the way, in game three. These are the goal scorers, by the way. These are the five different goal scorers for Colorado. Ryan Graves, defenseman. TJ Comfer. Tyson Yost. Alex Newhook. Brendan Saad. Those were your goal scorers. No McKinnon, no Rantanen, no Landis Cog. It's a 5-1 win. None of their big guns scored. They're healthy. They're deep. They've got excellent veteran presence, youth exuberance. They're an absolute wagon. And for St. Louis, honestly, I'm not surprised. And I know they, they brought in Mike Hoffman and Tarasenko finally got on the board scoring a couple goals. But those were the only two goals of the series. It was just, it, it's something off. I know that they won, you know, Stanley Cup a few years back. But you're missing some big names from your team. Mainly, 
Alex Petrangelo. He's that good. And just going through it right now, and I just, I, I know it's unfair, but I always bring it up to the goaltending. Jordan Bennington. Right, I knew going in throughout the season, right, he was hot-headed, he was reacting, he was fake-punching guys when they played San Jose. I'm like, if you don't focus on the game as a goaltender, like when you play goaltender, you you just, you can't let other things distract you, affect you. You can't let the crowd influence you. You can't let guys chirping you. Like as a goalie, for me, my rule of thumb was I can't say anything to the to the other players. I never chirped. You couldn't chirp because the moment they scored, you can make 35 saves. Can't really chirp. As soon as you get a goal scored against you, it's game over for you as a goalie. You're going to hear it all day long if you've said anything. So Bennington, after game one, right, plays spectacular. They lose 4-1. He goes up to Philip Grubauer, wants to fight him. Shocker. He's done that like three times this year. And then game two happens and game three and now they're out. Four games played, 3.59 goals against, and a sub-900 save percentage, meaning it's below 900. It's, I'm, I'm not I know it's against the Colorado Avalanche, but I'm not surprised. He was in his own head after game one. You're not recovering from that. Their best opportunity was in game two, and he gave up, and they gave up six goals. He gave up five alone. Philip Grubauer, after the game, by the way, posting on his social media pages, memories from round one. And it's Benetton skating up to him and challenging him to a fight. <laughs> it's friggin' hilarious. And, uh, yeah, they're they're moving on. And despite the Nazem Kadri injury, or, uh, suspension we'll get to in a little bit, they roll. And they rolled hard. Um, all right, this is, getting, this is going a lot further. This is going a lot longer, sorry, than I wanted, so we're going to speed this up here. So we're going to go on to uh, the, the second story here. So there's two teams that I've noticed in the playoffs that are showing resiliency and some pushback, but in two very different circumstances. Let's start one with the Nashville Predators. They're going into game five tonight against the, uh, against the uh, Carolina Hurricanes. That series is tied at two. Why is it so surprising? Because I don't think anybody outside of Nashville on planet Earth Pick Nashville to win. And that's nothing against Nashville. Carolina finished, was it first or second in their, they finished first place in their division. They were rolling going into the playoffs. And Nashville squeaked in by the, by the very skin of their teeth. And Carolina took an early 2-0 series lead. And I'm like, all right, here we go. And this is the one I'm like, this might be a sweep, maybe in five. And back-to-back double OT wins. Both of them, by the way, I think 4-3, which is even better. And and this is a series again. Sorry, 5-4 double OT and then 4-3 double OT. And this is a team that has always found ways to struggle to score. I put up 5-4 and in their last two games. This is a team that... You know, this offseason got rid of Kyle Turris and, you know, really cut down their their center depth. So now they they had Ryan Johansson and uh, Ryan Johansson and, and Matt Duchesne. Nick Benino was the other guy who actually I thought was a really great playoff piece. And I thought he would have been a great guy to add and, and stay on your team. 
but I'm just I'm going through the numbers here of the series. And and their guys are coming up. Matt Duchesne, Philip Forsberg, Mikel Granlund. Remember was he when he was on the trade block? Now he's scoring goals for Nashville in the playoffs. I love it. Roman Yossi picking up points too. Ryan Johansson, Matt Duchesne, their biggest issue on this team was scoring goals. And here they are, finding ways to do it. They're getting goals from Luke Cunning and Cousins and, and, and Johansson's kicking in again. And Matthias Ekholm was giving me a guy they got that was supposed to get traded. He stays and pick up two points in their latest win. They're using that, that underdog mentality. No one picked them. And here they are going toe-to-toe with the Central Division winners, the Carolina Hurricanes. I absolutely love it. And then you've got the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I know what you're thinking. How are they How are they dealing with, you know, res- how are they being resilient right now, Kyle? Well, did you watch game one? Did you see what happened to their captain? They lost that game because they were in their own heads. Because why wouldn't you shake that image? They have come back out without their number one, their captain, their number two center. The guy who really tips the scales in their favor is a great defensive player, phenomenal on faceoffs, their leader, and then they win 5-1 handily. And then, right, they come into game three, and it's like the guy they just acquired in Nick Foligno, who played center in spot of Tavares, is also out. So now you've got to bring in Riley Nash, who wasn't great in game one. And they find a way to edge him out 2-1. Like, these aren't just injuries to just third and fourth line guys. You could argue that if you really wanted to, Felino played on, but he's, he's, he's in the top six. These aren't injuries to guys who are sitting, who are coming in and out of the lineup. Right there's a there's an there's an injury right out of Montreal's. His name's Jake Evans. As much as you don't want that, and he might be an impactful player, but Jake Evans isn't Cole Caulfield or Brennan Gallagher or Nick Suzuki. Right, he's not John Tavares or Nick Foligno, like impact players who you gave up a first round pick for for playoff runs specifically. These are big time players. Not playing. Now, Montreal also didn't have Eric Stahl in Game 3, who's a big injury. But you got to remember, at points, he was on the fourth line. The way the injury happened, the craziness that transpired, the fact that he's doing okay, and the bounce back, not just in Games 2, but in Game 3, going into Montreal after just tying the series, after having a hugely, highly emotional Game 2, Riding that high, coming back down, getting down to business, and now taking back home ice. And if they lose tonight, the series is tied at two. It's now a best of three. Two or three of them are at home. If it goes seven. Two very different teams. Very opposite spectrums in terms of favorites and underdogs. Both dealing with some sort of adversity. Both are very resilient teams. Both are very much alive and well. And have the potential to make it pass, to pass round one. Just I just want to point that out. It's, it's Teams can show resiliency and fight through adversity in two very different perspectives. 
Nashville being very high underdogs, very, very big underdogs going into a series. Toronto losing their captain and their deadline acquisition at the trade deadline, who has played a significant role, who took over for the spot for the first guy that got hurt and are still sitting ahead right now. So fun stuff to see. Um, talk about resiliency. We're going to move on here. Uh, the I remember saying at the beginning of the playoffs, the only way the Florida Panthers win the series is if Sergey Bobrovsky is not the starting goaltender. I said, if Chris Drieger starts, you got a chance. Bobrovsky, I don't know. I didn't think to involve Spencer Knight because he's a rookie, a kid, and you're probably not going to get to that point. Well, Florida got to that point, and Spencer Knight started in Game 5 for the Florida Panthers. Spencer Knight was victorious for the Florida Panthers. After giving up the opening goal, Spencer Knight went on to make 36 saves, and the Florida Panthers staved off elimination, getting goals from Hornquist, Mackenzie Wieger, Mason Marchment, and they're alive. They're alive going back to Tampa. The series is extended for another game. Does it go seven? I'm not sure. But we've seen incredible goaltending performances last more than a game. Two games. Do you not remember the Vancouver Canucks last year in the bubble with Thatcher Demko coming in from Markstrom and playing three, four of the greatest, some of the greatest stretch of hockey I think I've ever seen a goaltender put on? Coming in relief, obviously. It's very doable. And tomorrow night, that series goes to Tampa with another opportunity for the Lightning to win the series. But this is now the third different goaltender to start for Florida in the series alone. Third goaltender in five games. That's wild to me. You want to hear the crazier part? Their $10 million goaltender, Sergei Bobrovsky, didn't even dress. That alone tells you everything to know about what Florida thinks in Bobrovsky. They split his time this year because they had to. He was clearly the second best goalie on the team because Chris Drieger outperformed him all year. We addressed this on the podcast. And now in the playoffs, Bobrovsky started game one and, well, he played poorly and then came in after a big comeback victory, started the next game and got pulled again. Way too inconsistent. As a goalie, this pains me, but don't overpay your goaltenders. Goaltending is such a difficult and un predictable position you've got to get lucky in today's game finding a workhorse who you ride through thick and thin like the Winnipeg Jets do with Connor Hellebuck like the Montreal Canadiens do with Carey Price like the Tampa Bay Lightning do with Andre Vasilevsky three of the best goaltenders in the world All of them have absolute... Carey Price didn't play an NHL game for basically the last, what, three weeks, month of the regular season. He plays one AHL game, gives up two goals in the first period, goes right back in net and steals game one for Montreal against the Leafs. Connor Hellebuck, who was like, eh, down the stretch, right, Winnipeg had lost like 9 of 10 or 9 of 11 games, 
and all of a sudden the playoffs start, and they sweep the team with the two highest point getters in the NHL. You want to know the thing about, I mean, Carey Price, by the way, is getting paid. But they paid him a while ago, and he was unquestionably the best goaltender on earth. Connor Hellebuck's got a nice contract, but it's not $10 million. And they also have a lot of other guys around them that make them better. Mark Scheifele, Nikolai Ehlers, Blake Wheeler, Kyle Connor, Pierre-Luc Dubois. And Florida's got guys too, Like, don't get me wrong. And they're also missing Aaron Ekblad. But I'm not talking about the team. I'm talking about the goalies. We've brought up the numbers before on, on the Florida Panthers netminders. The Panthers netminding situation was very obvious going in, but Bobrovsky started game one. Sergey Bobrovsky this year started 31 games, had a goals against average of 291 and a save percentage of 906. Drieger started 23 games, goals against 207, save percentage 927. Even Spencer Knight in four games, 232 goals against 919 save percentage. Both of them better numbers than Sergey Bobrovsky. The difference, Florida's got to pay him. Florida's paying Bobrovsky. This is going to sound wild. I'm not going to be blown away if Florida doesn't protect Bobrovsky at this point. Because at this point, you have now pulled Bobrovsky in this series. You've benched him. You've started him again. You've pulled him again. And then you scratched him for a rookie How do you go into next season as the starting goaltender for a team who in a five-game stretch, when you're the guy there, you're the guy? Like, regardless of what's happened in this series, it's been a crazy fun series. Andre Vasilevsky has been the goaltender for Tampa Bay. Bobrovsky is not. You want to hear his numbers, by the way, in in the playoffs? He's played in three games. He started two of them. He has a 5.31 goals against and an 8 4-1 save percentage. Chris Drieger, who has also not been good, has a 3-6-9 goals against and an 8-7-1 save percentage. Started in two. I cannot cannot envision Sergei Bobrovsky starting for the Florida Panthers next year or being on this roster. I can't see it. I cannot see it. You got scratched for a rookie and like not even benched for a rookie. You weren't even on the bench. Drieger was on the bench. You were in the stands. And that sucks because Bobrovsky has had Vesna caliber seasons. He's a Vesna winner. And he signs this lucrative deal. Florida's a really good team. And I don't know. The only thing I can tell right tell you right now is the fact that Bobrovsky's 32. I know age shouldn't matter. Chris Drieger's 27, making very little money, and Spencer Knight is 20. Got benched for a 20-year-old. Listen, the playoffs are hard. I remember when I played junior hockey, I didn't start game one. Our starter gave up three in the first 10 minutes. I went in, did not relinquish the net afterwards. It can end very quickly, very quickly as a goaltender. 
And it's just, I'm finding it incredibly difficult to envision Sergei Bobrovsky as a member of the Florida Panthers next year after this. Even if if they lose, right? Even if Florida loses, but Spencer Knight plays admirably, or or if Chris Rieger does go in and does the same thing, plays admirably, when 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 you're scratched, that's it. That's it, in my opinion. I don't know how you go into next season with him as your starting goaltender. I just don't. With, with Drieger and Knight still, you might as well play him off. Give Drieger a little bridge contract. Let Spencer Knight grow. When, when, when Knight's 22-23, hand him the net. Uh, okay, last thing here before we head out. Uh, the Colorado Avalanche forward, Nazem Kadri. We talked about this on the last episode of the podcast. He had a in-person hearing and was suspended eight games for his hit to the head on Justin Falk. Uh, This was from the NHL Department of Player Safety. Suspended him after the illegal check to Falk during game two of the first round of the series. So this is now the third suspension for Nazem Kadri in the last four postseason trips and six times total in his career. I, I I was listening to this on a show. So his last... His last four playoff, his last four postseason um, trips have gone like this. It was, it was like, what, 2017, 2018? It was, it was suspended in game one for three games, two, three, and four. The next season was suspended in game two for the remainder of the playoffs. Last year went on that deep run with Colorado, and this year suspended eight games, two games in. This is what I mentioned last time. This is who he is. Incredibly skilled forward. You love having a player with that tenacity, that grit, but also that finishing touch on your team. But now you look at him and you go, we, we can't count on you. We can't do it. You got to be able to control yourself. You, we have seen some monster hits in the playoffs. But you do it in moderation. Or you don't target high. I've always thought about this as a goaltender. Again, I I didn't play a whole lot of forward, but I just I remember thinking like when guys were finishing hits. I, I remember a guy I used to play with in junior hockey. Right, was the most physical player on the team by by far. He was a defenseman, one of the most physical players on the team, but he never hit you high. He always hit you low. He hit a guy so hard in the in the midsection he winded him, and the play had to be stopped because they thought the injury was worse. He just winded him but he hit him so hard coming across the ice and he hit him so low in the chest, you couldn't give him a penalty. You're like, it it was clean. Like, I know he's hurt, but he hit him square in the chest. I've never understood that, but I've never played forward, so I I can't attest to that. But this is... This is who he is. He loses... He, he loses sight of things sometimes. He can get aggravated real fast. And when he sees his target, he has blinders on and doesn't address the situation. They were also winning that game and the series. There was no need for it. I listen, I love physical hockey. The physicality in the postseason, I love watching guys throw their weight. I love when it's clean, it's intense, it's a good time. But then, you know, I see the chippiness. I've been seeing cross-checks to the face and two-handed slashes. And guys are are 
putting other guys in headlocks and roping them down and cross-checking them from behind and standing over them like they're the toughest dude on the planet. That I don't get. That I don't get as a goaltender. What I find even funnier is when you don't get a reaction after doing something like that and the player just like sits there and goes like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, go away. Who are you? It's my favorite thing in the world. But when you see stuff like this, I just find it funny, too, how the league had a very, very real opportunity in Tom Wilson to really set an example for him. And by the way, the Capitals were out. And they gave him a $5,000 suspension. But with Nazem Kadri, who's the exact same circumstances, repeat offender, playoffs, has done this before, has been suspended indefinitely before, gives a high illegal hit to a player, which, say what you want, is not taking a player and slamming them headfirst into the ice without a helmet on. And I again, I keep hearing a lot of people defending that, which, <laughs> okay. And they threw the book at him. I remember when Nazem Kadri too, when he got suspended two years ago in 2019, when he, when he, hit Jake DeBrusque from the Boston Bruins up high after he hit Patrick Marlowe, he wasn't given an amount of games. They just said, you're suspended for the rest of the playoffs or for the rest of the first round, sorry. I'd never heard that before. Like that series could have been over in five, six, seven games. They're like, however long it takes, the first the first round you're out for. Return your team if they win. If not, you're out. I've never seen that before. It was always games. So this one shows... That basically Nazem Kadri, when he got suspended, will be out for the majority of the second round, if not the entire thing, unless the series goes seven games. So he started serving his suspension in game three because he got he took the suspension in game two. Two games off the eight, so he's got six games remaining. If Colorado wins it in six, he doesn't play the entire second round. If they lose in six, doesn't play the second round. It's only if that series gets to seven games, which he would be eligible to return. But I think it's funny how they threw the book at him. When they had a perfect example to do it to Tom Wilson earlier on. And they uh, they chose to, to not do it. But Colorado's move on to the second round. Washington isn't. I told you, by the way. I predicted this at the beginning. I, before I made my season or my playoff predictions, I said, don't be surprised if both Washington and Pittsburgh don't make it past the first round. Washington got absolutely annihilated. They've got annihilated in the last like two or three years. Sums up and Ovechkin's an unrestricted free agent. I'm just saying. And, and the Islanders won again last night. Why? Because they have Pittsburgh's number. We've talked about this. This was not a shocking, like the Jets one was shocking because there was no evidence there. And the Oilers had dominated the Jets all year long. We have previous playoff series between the Islanders and the Penguins where the Islanders manhandle them. Not manhandle them, sorry. But they play them tight. They're opportunistic. They get better goaltending. They come up victorious. The Boston-Washington one was just a bad matchup. Again, the Pittsburgh-Washington, whoever they played, whether it was Boston or, or the Islanders or vice versa, bad matchups. The Islanders took out Washington last year. Boston has steamrolled teams in the past. 
It doesn't. It, the matchups were brutal. Malkin was out for a bit for Pittsburgh, but the Bruins are moving on. The Bruins look friggin' terrifying. And Zdeno Char got got a little taste of what it feels like to be eliminated by the Bruins. And there's like a still image of him being like, ah, this sucks. But uh, more fun matchups tonight. Two teams have already moved on. Toronto, Montreal, a back to back. So so last night, Winnipeg and and uh, and Edmonton played their back to back. Toronto, Montreal played their back to back. Nashville and Carolina play today. And then tomorrow, we've got three games. We've got Pittsburgh, New York. New York could win it. Tampa, Florida. Tampa could win it. And then, by the way, Minnesota hanging in against the Vegas Golden Knights. Amazingly, despite the fact that Vegas uh, apparently only gave up 16 shots on that. Cam Talbot won the game. He made 40 saves. Marc-Andre Fleury only faced 13 shots. I still think Vegas is going to win that series. They, uh, they just they dominate every game. Cam Talbot was absolutely stupendous last night. So... More fun stuff for around the National Hockey League and the playoffs. Make sure you follow along on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, Instagram, and Twitter at ST Hockey Podcasts. Will the Leafs take a 3 1 series lead? Can Nashville complete the upset and, and win and beat Carolina? It's going to be fun. Next episode, by the way, there will be a lot more matchups that will be set. For the uh, second round, we will uh, dissect those, see which ones I was right on, see which ones I was wrong on, and uh, and go on from there. But until then, enjoy the week. Stay safe. That's a wrap.